Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the professional sports industry, and my front office resume includes titles like General Manager, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships, and Director of Sales. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Why? Because companies with gender and or culturally diverse executive teams were 21% to 35% more likely to outperform the competition. Simply put, diverse leadership helps your bottom line. The Leadership is Female podcast is here to help. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to create visibility by interviewing successful women who work in sports to uncover opportunities and teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. I believe there's enough room at the table for all of us. Take your seat and join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Erin O'Donnell is the Assistant General Manager of the Gwinnett Stripers, formerly the Gwinnett Braves, AAA affiliate of the Atlanta Braves. Erin has had a long career in minor league baseball that started when she was just 19 years old and has taken her to many teams, crisscrossing the country, adding both her leadership and marketing skill sets to the front offices of teams and changing them for the better forever. Her current role as AGM has her overseeing many parts of the business and leading the team to much success. Listen carefully, marketers, as Erin reveals a change this year that has led to doubling single-game ticket sales. Erin also reveals her superpowers and why it's important to let your staff know how you lead and what they can expect from you so there is a better understanding between the both of you. How leading with empathy has helped Erin to grow and how a passion for war history has helped Erin in her decision-making. I've known Erin for years and learned so much from her in this 45-minute interview, not only about her, but how I can become a better, more confident leader. Erin, thank you so much. Get ready to listen in and level up. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Erin O'Donnell, AGM of the Gwinnett Braves. So happy to have you. Thank you, Emily. Glad to be here. So can you start off by telling us who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I recently got married, as you know, so I haven't changed my name yet, but technically I guess it's Erin O'Donnell McCormick one day, um, but O'Donnell McCormick is a lot. It's a lot of letters. Um, but I'm the assistant general manager here with the Braves AAA team in Gwinnett. Um, and we, uh, as AGM, I oversee pretty much half of the business. So my background is in marketing. Um, so I oversee our advertising efforts, sponsorship implementation, ballpark entertainment, merchandise, community relations, social media, digital media website, all of that. So, um, I still have a big hand in our sales practices. Um, I've got some background in baseball ops um, and F&B concessions. So it's a pretty a pretty broad job description. I love <laughs> the GM and AGM job descriptions. When I uh, have to give my job description, I get a lot of you know eyebrows raised. Like, what what do you mean all of those things? Um, especially with larger companies because. We work um, on a lot of times a, a smaller, smaller teams doing a lot of things. Um, so thanks for sharing all of that with us. And I want you to tell us your journey to becoming assistant general manager of the Braves. You've worked in minor league baseball for a long time. Yeah, this is, it should have been my 15th season, but the uh, pandemic ruined that counting a little. So 15 years, 14 seasons. Um, I started when I was 19. Uh, there was a double A team being built in Corpus Christi, Texas, where I'm from. And so I just kind of met with them, the Corpus Christi hooks, they were still building the ballpark. They hadn't opened yet. And I knew I was interested in sports, but I didn't know quite what I wanted to do. So I was trying to get a handle on things at that time. Um, and they ended up offering me a summer internship. So there was like three employees at the time and we were operating out of a construction trailer, while the ballpark was being built. So the first intern, um, and I just kind of helped with anything and everything, typing up radio contracts, selling merchandise at the kiosk in the mall. And anytime I went to college in San Antonio. So anytime they, um, you know, I came back for Christmas break or something, 
you know, I'd jump into a role with them and, and do something. And then uh, once the ballpark was built and it was their inaugural season, I continued interning with them and more of a community relations kind of uh, ballpark entertainment promo team role. And uh, just made a lot of great contacts. Um, I mean, how cool is it that I get to say my career started by um, Nolan Ryan was my first boss because he owns Corpus along with his, his sons. Um, so that was kind of like the dreamy starry eyed way to get into baseball. And, but I just found, I fell in love with it and it was an easy decision. Um, I was actually, I had accepted a role um, for working for a Texas state politician in DC and I was in DC in a hotel looking for a place to live and the Northwest Arkansas Naturals called and offered me a position as marketing manager or marketing coordinator with them and sorry um, <laughs> politics but that world wasn't for me and I jumped ship very easily um, and made that change and made a move to Arkansas and the cool thing about that experience was they were opening a ballpark for an inaugural season as well. So it was kind of like, hey, I've been through this before. I know how this process goes. Um, at the time we were in a strip mall while they were building the ballpark. Um, so I was able to learn a lot there and bring some experience from what I'd already been through with Corpus. Um, so for about two and a half years, I worked in Arkansas and then made a move over to Memphis with the AAA of the Cardinals. I worked there for I think four or five years. Um, I worked my way up from marketing coordinator to marketing manager and then finally director of marketing and the Cardinals came in and bought the team, um, the major league team bought their franchise um, and that was kind of a hard first lesson for me of like, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, but they just had their own vision for who they wanted to place in some of these roles and um, Again, you know, we were just talking, try not to take things personally in some of these situations and business decisions, but it did op open up the opportunity for me. I took a director of marketing role in Sacramento with the, uh, the AAA of the A's at that time, but about two months later, they changed um, to the AAA of the Giants. So that was a really interesting time to join the team and go through an affiliation change that there were big opinions about in the Bay Area because you are either an A's fan or a Giants or not both, and they are contentious sometimes. So, uh, but I learned so much amazing experience in SAC. Um, I was able to take on some of the baseball ops side of things. So, uh, you know, team travel, um, bat boys, uniform orderings, um, a lot about player development contracts, uh, the relationship between the affiliate and the major league. Um, the major league team. And then during my time there, we also took uh, food and beverage in-house. And so I learned a lot about warehouses and par levels and a lot of really interesting stuff about consumer behavior and how to display your menu boards and everything. Um, but California just wasn't for me. And I'm a Southern girl and I missed being in the South. So uh, there was an opportunity that opened up in Birmingham as the VP of marketing. So I took that position, but true to how um, tight-knit baseball is, the guy who was the director of tickets when I was in Sacramento and one of my best friends, Adam English, was offered the job as general manager in Gwinnett with the Stripers, with the, the team, and uh, asked me, you know, can I come over from Birmingham and be his assistant GM? So that's the long journey to where we are now, but it's amazing working with one of my best friends again, and such a testament to the industry about how networking and, you know, you take care of your people and the contacts you make along the way. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. Talk about a minor league journey. Corpus Christi hooks to Northwest Arkansas Naturals, to Memphis Cardinals, to Sacramento, um, to Birmingham, to the Gwinnett Braves, where you are now. Did I get that right, Erin? Yes. That's the, that's the track. That is, that is the journey crisscrossing and in, in North and South and East and West in the country. Um, so many, so many things to unpack there. First of all, just so much change. So do you have any tips for starting a new role, like getting ingrained in the culture? Like how does that work for you and how have you done that successfully over your career? I think it's important to meet with your people first and foremost, because they don't know you either. And they're apprehensive about 
how things are going to change for them. Um, and it doesn't always work out. There's some people who, you know, may not fit with the culture that you want to, um, to have at the team, or they just had a different goal or career path and being okay with making some of those changes, which is hard. Um, and, and I think that's the most important first step and that energy when you come into a new position is something that is hard to replicate on some days. So starting with that positivity and here's what we're gonna do and here's the vision and the 10,000 foot view and here's how you fit into this, um, I think is really important for setting the stage for things. And then just like on a personal level, always negotiate um, or always try to negotiate moving costs because moving cross country is a, is a slog sometimes. Yeah, I can confirm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no. uh, so good, good stuff there. Meet with your people. Don't be afraid to make change and bringing in that energy and positivity. I think all of us, when we start a new job, there's this uh, really positive, excited aura when you come in the first day. And I think being cognizant of that and understanding how you can maybe hold tight to that and, and access that energy as you're moving through that first year so that it doesn't, you know, it's not a big day, one impact, and then you fall flat afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so, and it's important reminders sometimes to, especially when we're in the middle of a you know, long six month season about like remembering why I'm here, what our vision was, what we came for. And, you know, sometimes doing fun activities or a pizza party or reuniting the staff to, to, uh, to remember that vision and why we're here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Last night, um, after two homestands in a row, we ended work early and had pizza and beer, uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon on the concourse. And I was just saying at our little um, executive team meetup this morning, I was surprised how many people were there. And they were like, why are you surprised? I'm like, I don't know. I just thought people would want to, you know, dip out and do their laundry or something. And <laughs> they reminded me that I'm an old mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel both sides of that. Yes. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, no, they want to, they want to drink beer and eat pizza. Emily, I'm like, Oh, okay. I got it. Noted, noted. Yeah. Um, also in, in this journey that you've had to your um, current role, there's been a lot of businesses, business changes. So affiliation changes um, and, and different ownership changes and things that have happened along the road. Oftentimes that really upsets the upsets the staff, upsets the front office. We often say like we're gung-ho ready for change. And then when it is on the horizon, there's a lot of anxiety about that. Talk about some of the ways that you have navigated your staff through those changes over the course of your career. Yeah. I mean, it always hurts, right? A little bit like, you know, business is business, but it's personal to someone. Um, so remembering that and that empathy of like, these are human beings. They have dreams and goals and things were disrupted and they're unsure too. I think it's really important to remember um, and to recognize too. And it, as simply as saying like, I know you guys are scared or you don't know me or things are unknown. And I think we all felt that messaging during the pandemic too, because I feel like what our baseball season, what their careers looked like, what their employment looked like, over the course of a year changed 75 times. And, um, you know, luckily for us, we were able to really keep our staff together and really not have to um, furlough or terminate anyone. But there was still, I mean, it was the first year in like, since I was 19 that I had a summer off and I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> like, what do I do? How do I stay, you know, with my head in things and check in on my staff and everything. So, I think it's just never losing sight of, yes, this is a business. Yes, people perform roles and, uh, you know, are, are cogs in what we're doing, but they're people. And um, really having some vulnerable conversations, Brene Brown would be so proud of me, um, to, to remember that, for them to remember that like, hey, I'm here and I'm your person and I'm energetic and we're going to do this all together. But 
you know, uh, there's some unknowns for me too. And we're just going to, we're going to be in it together. We're going to tackle it together. And, you know, if there's, if, if you're scared and there's a, there's somewhere you want to jump ship or not jump ship, but like, um, you know, you, you want to take your career in a different direction or to a different team or something, I'm going to be your biggest champion in that. And you're never going to be alone. I think it's a beautiful description of empathy. I mean, that was, that was awesome. And I really heard what you said there and hope our listeners did too. Such phenomenal examples of, of leadership through change. And you have a background um, in marketing, AGM, and that's sort of your like magic wand, so to speak. By the way, I'm coming off of Harry Potter weekend in <laughs> Reno, so maybe that's the magic wand reference. But um, you're like, I think in the GM role, every GM has a unique skill set that's sort of like your go-to, and then you do all these other things as well. And for you, you sort of know the entire business, but your, your toolbox has like the best tools in marketing. What are some of the, the tips uh, that you can share with us that have led to so much success for the Braves uh, due to the marketing efforts that you roll forward? Yeah, it's funny because I'm in a, in a leadership program here in Gwinnett or in Atlanta and they just had us do like a skills assessment and it kind of gave you your top five things that you're good at and some descriptions of those and how that drives your career. And like the top two things were, one was context and the description of it was everything, um, you know, you look to the past for answers. Um, it's highly likely you read a uh, military history and wars about major wars and all this. And I was like, this is a hundred percent me because I have always loved military history. My family was, is all military. Um, and that's honestly where I look to for a lot of answers of like, okay, Eisenhower had some giant personalities in Montgomery and Patton, and he was ma managing up to Churchill and FDR and Stalin too. So how did he navigate that situation? Or, you know, Lincoln not having military experience, but still needing to lead the military and, and you know, how he navigated some personalities and logistics and bottlenecks too. So that was a hundred percent on point for me, as was the second one, which was creativity and um, ideation and how that is something that really keeps me going. And I think both of these things fall really well into my skill set as a marketer. Um, I like that context. I like learning about things so I know where we came from. And baseball is so rooted in tradition that I, while we want to move our industry forward, I feel like we can't forget the past and where we came from and whether we did things right or wrong in that past. Um, and then the creativity of the future, which is so much of what minor league baseball is and um, looking at those creative solutions, what we've been able to do entertainment wise on field. Um, I don't know if you know, the Braves have a, the Atlanta Braves have a, a race where um, they had this guy on like their grounds crew who is also like an Olympic sprinter. And so he's, um, he's the freeze and he races people on the warning track. They get a head start and he blows by him and wins the race. Um, one of our, he was a trainee at the time and now he's full-time, um, great guy, uh, 300 pounds, but wildly fast. Um, he actually didn't know that he was fast until he uh, started playing Quidditch in college. So this Harry Potter stuff is coming back around. Um, but he was pitched this idea of like, let's do the opposite. I'm the fridge, I limp out to a, to a slow start, they blow by me and then I turn it on. And it became this huge viral sensation, you know, 80 million plus views, ESPN, Barstool, like Runner's World Magazine was calling for interviews. Um, and so that was really the first thing that we were able to put on the map of like, this is the new era of Stripers baseball. This is the tone we're setting. Um, and it kind of has just snowballed from there. We got a new voice on social media. Um, it's funny, it's pop culture it's relevant. Um, it's a little clapbacky, um, especially, you know, if we're dealing with something that we feel uh, very passionate about, like a pride night or something, and there's people that don't feel the same. We're not, we're not, um, we're not afraid to be ourselves and, and what we stand for as a brand. Um, and then just marketing wise, it's, it's been very, a very different transition to this market for me, because um, it's the biggest I've ever worked in. 
So it's forced us to change our strategy about, hey, you know, we've got relationships with our local paper, um, but if I'm looking at buying advertising, um, you know, with a radio station, I can't be buying Atlanta wide um, because it's, Atlanta's huge and with traffic, I mean, someone who lives on the other side is two hours away from us. So it kind of forced us to innovate on the digital marketing side. And that all kind of aligned with the pandemic anyway and how everything made such a huge turn to digital and mobile. Um, and we've seen great, uh, great returns from that this year. I mean, almost double on the individual ticket side, which is what we most closely relate to uh, to marketing since it's kind of a one-to-one -to -one consumer to business um, talking point. So I'm excited to continue that. Um, I know there'll probably be other challenges market-wide and new emerging technologies, but that's such an important thing to stay up on trend on as well about what's the next thing. Did you just say you doubled down on singles this year? Pretty much, yeah. Groups okay. are still lacking because groups is a dirty word, but singles, we are massively up. Round of applause from out here in Reno. Nice <laughs> job, Erin. We measure that the same way. You know, those marketing efforts are tied specifically to our single game ticket sales. So <laughs> hats off to you. Good 2021. Um, yes. And so for our listeners, Erin uh, and I have gotten to know each other through industry events and specifically women in baseball events. Um, you've been in the industry for 15 years and I got to ask you, do you think that we're making progress and where do we need more work? Yes. I think it's re important to remember that we have made progress. Um, sometimes it's frustrating how slow it feels, but looking back from 15 years ago and even just how I was viewed in the workplace as like one of the only females on staff questions I might have been asked about like why are you here is it to be with players or something which is like so false like I'm here because I want a career in baseball just like you um but even now to looking at like you know me too movements and um you and I in executive leadership positions in baseball I don't know if that was possible 15 years ago um so I think it's important to remember that we have come a long way. We still have a long way to go. There's still a lot to work for, but um, but we are making progress. But that being said, um, there's there's definitely some things that I need. I think need to be achieved industry wide to to get there. The first being um, just entry level pay into this industry. I think we lose a lot of good, really great talent just, and a lot of diversity too, by not being able to, to offer people essentially a living wage. Um, I know when I first started, I mean, I was probably below poverty line, um, but I had amazing supportive parents and I had a lot of scholarship in college. So I was fortunate that I was able to, to give it a shot and work up from there. But a lot of people can't make that choice. And I think that we could lose a lot of really great talent to other industries, people who are just as passionate as we are, who just financially can't make it work. Um, and, I, and, and I know that the budgets are tough and, and sports are, you know, entry level positions are historically pretty low, but I think that's one area that really needs to be tackled. And I think too, I mean, talking about our careers and what we oversee, Emily, like, you know, listing off all the things that I oversee now is the same stuff I was responsible for when I was 22, but I was boots on the ground, the only person doing it, you know, being worked to death, like, you know, feeling incredibly burned out. And I think that we just ask a lot of people. I mean, I have 15 years experience now and I know how to lead it, but I also have people that can do it. But when I was 22 and I'm learning the industry and there really was no specialization, I just had to do it all. And I couldn't, you know, you can't do anything well when you're doing all of that much. You're not able to, to focus. And I think we also lose a lot of talent from burnout and from expecting too much of a 22 year old who hasn't been nurtured and brought up um to handle these things and to know how to delegate and like when you have all that on your plate where's the time for developing you as a manager or you know 
even just getting sleep or getting away from there, I'm not going to be my best person at work if, if I'm so concerned about all of that. So I think we could really grow in those two areas. Yeah, um, I'm so happy you brought those things up. And if I could just kind of re like have a little conversation about it. Um, entry level pay, number one, specialization, right? We, we, um, it's been a badge of honor, Jack or Jill of all trades, but imagine how much better we could be at our jobs and how much more revenue we could create if we could dive deeper into the topics that, um, we can, we could do better at, but there's so many things pulling us in so many different directions. And then that final word burnout, burnout is real and it's a real challenge in, in baseball, I think specifically with the structure of, of our games and the number of days you work in, in a row in the evenings, but also all day in the office. So thank you for listening to Leadership is Female. It's June and we've got three big things going on on the podcast. First, calling all interns. We have four eight-week internships available in social media, website development, PR, and content. Are you interested? These are resume-boosting, learning, and networking opportunities for you. Check out our Instagram for details. Number two, the Young Leaders Series is coming up in July. This four-part series has one spot available by nomination. Have someone who works for you who is a star? Email us at leadershipisfemale.com to nominate. And three, all new email subscribers in the month of June will be entered to win a high-performance planner, and one lucky winner will be chosen at the end of the month. If you have not subscribed, head to leadershipisfemale.com and subscribe today. Hey, leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. I'm going to put you on the spot, girl. What is... What solutions do you have for some of these, these issues? Yeah, I think, I think on the pay side, um, and even on some of, you know, I started on the promo team in Corpus, um, and I'm looking at our promo team who's making, you know, minimum wage or just above it. Like, you know, how much better candidates could I get if we were offering a couple dollars more? And I think that that scale is overdue and needs to happen in a scale, because I think one day, it's going to be a federal issue of, you know, essentially in Georgia doubling minimum wage, and that's going to be a really hard gut punch to businesses and to our business. So if we're taking it, you know, two three dollars a year at a time, I think it's manageable. Um, I think hiring people to do a job, you know, say I want to hire a graphic designer. Okay, I'm going to hire a graphic designer, and then as they get on and they get comfortable, I can ask what else do you have interested in? Oh, I want to learn more about, you know, how we're placing these ads that I'm buying. Okay, I can take you and I can tutor you on that. And all of a sudden now I've developed a digital marketing manager who can create the ads and place them because they have that experience. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes I think, guess it goes back to payroll too, is just needing, you know, not having that bandwidth to, to do, to, to hire people to do that specialization. And, you know, it doesn't have to mean that, you know, you can hire a marketing coordinator who does advertising and promotions, you know, it doesn't have to be like that specialized, but when you're doing special events, advertising, in-game promos, uh, community relations, you're in the mascot suit, like, yeah, you're never gonna be good. You're never gonna be great at any of those things. You're just gonna be okay or so-so on all of them. And, you know, to your point with the burnout, 
it was a huge thing that I learned in Sacramento. Um, and I think that they had to do it more because of California state law, but honestly, it ended up being a blessing of that good old boy mentality that you and I came up in of, it was almost a competition of how long you worked and you were here at 7am and then you pulled tarp at midnight, you know, and you're back here at 7am. It was almost a game of like, who can work the longest and it's not sustainable. And so you know, having to put in those processes where you have a manager on duty and they're the person that stays through the end of the game and that person rotates. And, you know, when there's issues or, or, you know, things that come up with fans, they're the person that's targeted towards that allows your other managers to go home and have some time with their family. And, you know, for me, it's really great on a night where I can see my husband before he goes to sleep because he wakes up before me the next morning. So if we're like ships in the night, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work for our marriage. So being able to trust your people and have them take the lead on being, and it's also grooming them to, you know, one day be in your role, in your leadership position of decision-making during a game and letting your sales staff go after they've, in the fifth inning, after they've visited with, um, you know, the clients they have that night and everyone's happy and good. Okay, go home, go be with your family. Like we don't all need to be here until the ninth inning unless there is a situation where we need to put the tarp on. It's um, like valuing their home life, everyone's home lives as well. Yeah, and you said these three, three little words, which are not such little words, trust your people. And I can't tell you how many times that comes up in this podcast as I'm interviewing leaders in sports. Trust your people is absolutely a theme and has led to the success of, of many women in their roles is um, having the trust of their people, earning the trust and respect of their people. And when you have that type of symbiotic relationship, I think everyone works harder towards that common goal. So question for you. We, this comes up in the women in, in baseball meetings annually, imposter syndrome. Have you ever dealt with that? And what are, and if you have, or even if you haven't, like, what are some of your tips to working through it? Luckily I haven't. Um, it's probably been the opposite is where I felt overly qualified for something, but felt like I wasn't getting looked at for a certain reason. And I mean, if, if you have it, like if you have that, that feeling that, you know, you're just faking it till you make it. Um, I mean, more power to you. Cause that is a lot of emotion to, uh, to take, to work with you every day and um, would, you know, really cloud things for me. But I think it's just trusting yourself and trusting your gut and being your biggest cheerleader and your biggest fan. Like, I know I'm smart. I know I'm qualified, you know, and maybe it's a mantra of starting every day with that or like you, how you like to your Carrie Underwood song on your way to work <laughs> as your reminder of like, no, I belong here. Like, this is me. I knew you were going to answer like that. I almost prefaced with, I know that you're confident and qualified, <laughs> but I had to put the ball in your court so that you could give us that truly authentic, no, I don't deal with it. And all of those things that you just said uh, about why, like, I know I'm smart. I know I'm qualified. I know I can do this. Hell yes. Like, let's take that with us. If, you know, Aaron's laying down so much for us in this interview, but really, you know, bundle up what she just said there and take, take that with you. What is the toughest lesson you've ever learned? That how I saw myself wasn't necessarily how other people saw me. Um, it was a situation when I was in Sacramento and I could tell that my boss, who's amazing and still one of my best mentors, um, he was getting frustrated with me and, and he thought I was being really um, stubborn and, uh, you know, that if we didn't go with my idea, then, then we were obviously making the wrong choice. Like I'm the smartest person in the room. And I, I couldn't, like, that was just not how I saw myself. And so I had to do a lot of self-reflection about like, why am I coming off this way? I don't feel like I am, but obviously people are seeing me different. It's causing me conflict between me and my mentor. Like, 
what's happening? And so I thought about it a lot and I wrote him an email or actually hand wrote him a letter and put it on his desk. And um, it, it had to like, it harkened back to childhood for me, right? My, my dad was in the Navy um, and I think he secretly wanted me and my sister to both be lawyers uh, and neither of us are. But we, every night at dinner, we always had dinner as a family of four and I'm very fortunate for that. Um, every night at dinner, he would pose a like hypothetical question and me and my sister would have to argue a point. And he didn't really care which point it was. It was that had you thought about things from all sides, what about this? What about this devil's advocate? How do you respond to this? And like, they were random questions about like, um, uh, about like, you know, what's the difference between the American Revolution fighters and like the Taliban? Like, I mean, there's, uh, that's a pretty heavy topic, but when you think about it, both sides think that they're fighting for their freedom, right? So, um, so, so it, it, they were controversial and like me and my sister would often get really impassioned and, you know, fight about it. And it was his easy way to show us that's the quickest way to lose an argument is to just you know, start saying like, you're wrong or something like, no, bring facts to the table, show me that you've thought it through. And so I realized that like, I internalized so much of that my entire life. And the reason I was having conflict was because I was asking a lot of questions and trying to think things through and trying to think things from every side and playing devil's advocate, but it was coming across as they thought I was just like doubting their, their ideas or, um, that because we weren't going with my idea, you know, she has to ask all these questions and she our other ones down, but it was really coming from a, a really good intentional place of like, have we thought this through? Have we thought about every potential, um, every potential situation, every potential reaction? And it was, uh, really enlightening finally realizing that and getting it off my chest because it completely changed my relationships with my coworkers, with my boss. Um, I actually, he encouraged me once he read this, he was like, I get it now. And yes, there's going to be situations where like, we need to make a decision and Aaron, we can't go point counterpoint on this, but know that I'm probably still doing it in my head. Um, and so he shared, we shared this letter with some of the other directors and they were like, this makes so much sense. You know, I can now direct my staff about like, hey, if you come to Erin with something, here's what you need to have short up before you go there because she's going to pepper you with questions. And she hates, I don't know. She hates, you know, not having thought it through. So like, it was like from that day, things changed. And honestly, like, you know, when I started hearing Gwinnett or something, that's something I lead with now with people is like, here's what I know about myself. Here's what I know. Like, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. It's not because I don't trust you. It's because I want to understand everything because that's my personality and um, like zero conflict since then. So I can tell you it works. What an amazing leadership tip. Here's what I know about myself and, and letting, letting people know, like, this is what you can expect from me. We've done something uh, in my organization where everyone's taken personality tests and then we shared those results and it's been super enlightening. There was someone on the team that I was having like consistent conflict with and it's because um, this was in the, uh, I believe it was the Enneagram. We were like literally exact opposite and she had what I didn't and I had what she didn't and we represented two completely different perspectives but once I had that understanding we work so much better together now because she's such a compliment if everyone was like me wouldn't be a good situation you know you need those converse personalities so um, I love that and diagram overlap right totally totally well it's it's you know diversity isn't just always about gender it's also about personality types and skill sets and what you bring to the table and so that's such a um, an awesome awesome tip that be open and share the way that you do things so that your staff has um, an understanding of of how you're going to work with them mm -hmm. so genuine so what has been the biggest hurdle in your career? Biggest hurdle, I think, has been finding that work-life balance. And um, so I'm, I'm technically older for having just gotten married. I'm 36. Um, 
And I think part of that is because I didn't have work-life balance before. And, and it's such good advice to anyone because I came up in this industry feeling like because I didn't have a boyfriend, a husband, a family, like it's almost like I didn't deserve that work-life balance. Like I should take over because they need to be home with their family. I don't have anything but a dog to go home to, you know, I can take this hit. Um, and it's, it's not healthy and, um, maybe it prevented me from finding someone until now, but I'm so glad he was totally worth the wait. He's the only one that I want. Um, but I think that that work till you die mentality or, you know, not even, just being able to, to be a human being outside of work. It's, it's, it's not culture. It's a cult. Like you take off the URE, right. When it becomes that. And it's funny, um, our general manager and I, Adam, we were on our way to a, an event that I was, it was a women in baseball thing. And I was speaking on the panel and he was actually driving me because he was dropping me off at surgery. I had no surgery last year, um, afterwards, but, I, I was kind of reviewing the questions as, as I went there and there, you know, there's always that question that gets asked of a female leader about how they balance work and life. And I very candidly asked Adam, do you ever get asked this? And he was like, no, I mean, only in the sense of like office culture, like how you give your employees work-life balance, but it's so interesting and a little frustrating that women are the only one who are really ever viewed as having, having to balance things and to choose. Like a male leader is just expected that they're gonna lead and be great. Um, and I, I don't know how to fix that, um, but I know how to fix it for myself and how to you know, balance my time and and, a, you know, whether it's that my husband coming to the ballpark to see me and obviously we're going to try to start a family. So, Emily, I'm going to lean on you a lot <laughs> about how to balance with kids as well. But I think um, it's a really big oversight that a, a male leader is not expected that same balance or it's just assumed that they can they can change their schedule. Such a great point. It is <laughs> such a great point. And the, the first point that you weren't deserving of work-life balance because you were single is um, what a terrible way to feel, but I don't think that you're alone. I think a lot of people, you know, share in that same feeling. And I think that as, as leaders, we need to encourage our staff, no matter what their life circumstances are, you got to have what I like to call a side hustle. It doesn't mean making money. It just means something that's a passion for you outside of your job. It could be running. It could be, um, I don't know, dog grooming, military like history. <laughs> yeah, military history, whiskey tasting. I mean, it could, it could be anything. Um, but, but have something that can pull your mind away from your job that is important to you, um, to help you recharge and gain experiences outside of the workplace, because those will help you in your, your work. Um, so those are great points. And then also the point on that question about women, right? It's like, it's like when I went back to work from maternity leave, uh, I can't tell you how many times in the last three weeks I've been asked who's taking care of the baby, right? Like my husband went back to work, like the week that I had the child and no one asked him who's taking care of the baby. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those challenges, I think, that we uniquely face as women. And one of the ways that we're going to get through it is by talking through it and, and leaning on each other and knowing that, you know, we do face a unique set of challenges. And one of those challenges is that through history, women have been historically the caregivers in the home. And um, that's, that's how we're perceived um, for, for better or for worse. Um, but, you know, let's lean on it as our superpower. Like we can, we can do it all. We can balance and juggle and take care of things at home. We can take care of the things at work. Um, I'm a constant work in progress. It's not easy to do it all. And um, a lot of times I over-index at the office. Um, and then there's some days that I have to over-index at home because there's some needs that need to be taken care of. So, you know, it's sort of the spectrum. Like you can't be everything at once every single day. 
Um, but you can be the best you can be throughout the course of, of your life and your career. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> All right, favorite sports memory. Here's a fun question. Yay, easier, less, less weighty. <laughs> um, yeah, the last ones are like a steady slide. Like yeah. <laughs> um, personally for me, um, so I grew up playing basketball. Um, I played a couple sports, but that was the one that I excelled at all five, three of me. Um, I remember, uh, so we lived in Corpus Christi, which is probably about four hours from, um, four hours from Austin. And my dad had been diagnosed with, uh, he had skin cancer on the top of his ear, which is a fantastic reminder. Everyone always forgets to put sunscreen on their ears, but don't forget about that. And uh, he had had surgery. They actually took part of his leg and put it up on his ear and um, removed the cancer. And he like slept off the local anesthesia or, or whatever, and then drove four hours to Austin to watch me and my sister play in a basketball game, we were both on varsity together. And like, I mean, we always felt supported as women, um, you know, in sports, our dad loved sports and loved pushing us into them, but we enjoyed it. And, you know, was always taking us to WNBA games because he wanted us to have those role models, but watching him show up for us in that way of like, I'm not missing a game. I don't care if I just had cancer removed was, um, was pretty sweet. And I mean, professionally, when, when I was in Memphis, the, uh, we went up to the World Series in 2011 and game six is when David Freeze hit a bases clearing uh, triple to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth, with two outs, um, forced extra innings. They uh, then hit a walk-off home run to force a game seven and then they won handily um, on game seven. But that was one of those just like, it's one of those moments where you're like, I was there, you know, it was legendary. Oh, those are so awesome. I love the dad memory and, uh, and man, nothing beats a world series. That's so cool. Like, we're able to be there. Okay. Final four question. Yeah. One more, a bit serious, three really fun ones. Yeah. Number one, what's your best piece of advice for women today so they can level up tomorrow? speak up. Um, that was kind of a big game changer in my career as well. When I started asking for responsibility, asking for titles, asking for pay, um, I'd always just been kind of content in what was offered to me, what was given to me before then. And once I started asking for what I wanted to learn about, what I knew I was capable of, what I knew I was worth, then that's when things accelerated for me and have gotten me here and continue to get me places. And I, I think that everyone needs to know their worth and know to speak up for, even if it's just learning a new skill or something, tell someone that you want to take that over, tell them that you are, you're interested in learning that because not often is someone going to just approach you and be like, Hey, do you want to learn about concessions, par levels? Like that was never going to happen, but I asked, I learned it. I know it. It's made me better. Love it. All right. Number two, what's your favorite place to travel? Me and my husband are big adventure hiker people. And our honeymoon was supposed to be, um, we were supposed to go to Africa and climb Kilimanjaro and then do a safari and then fly to Tanzania and spend a couple days on the beach, like muscles recovering from that hike. And um, that's always been my bucket list trip. And I was so excited to go on it with him. And then the pandemic changed everything. So it's still out there as my favorite, but my second would be, um, we went on a trip a couple of years ago. We went to Nepal and hiked the Himalayas for like five days and spent some time in Kathmandu. And it was just an amazing experience. And um, we were able to, when we, we had to break the flight into two days, we stopped in Abu Dhabi spent a night there. And my dad was in the Middle East all the time when I was younger. Um, and we actually stayed at the same hotel that he did when he was in the UAE. So that was pretty cool. I love it. I've known you for years and I didn't know any of those things. So <laughs> let that be a lesson from today too. Like what a cool question to ask. Cause I feel like I know Aaron now so much better after hearing those answers. And I've been a hiker too. So we need to do a hiking trip. I know we do. We definitely. 
Okay, pump up song or walk up music because we're baseball gals. My walk up music song has always been or has always wanted to be um, God's Gonna Cut You Down by Johnny Cash. And I think asking that point says so, I think it's so interesting about what it says about a person. And for me, that song says like, um, you know, badass and you're not, uh, you know, it's got a good rolling beat. So it's kind of unassuming, um, but it's got a strong, powerful message. But uh, lately, um, Lizzo and Cardi B's song, all the rumors are true is such a bop and I I love it every the horn section and the in the refrain is just like what I live for and I also love earth wind and fire so I guess the horns say something about me but I like every time it comes on the radio I'm like a little you know like bopping along to it and just in a good mood love it all right last question favorite quote it's funny I was just talking with one of my employees about this quote the other day um, and it's from Warren Buffett and it's predicting rain doesn't count, building an arc does. And I think it's relevant personally, it's relevant professionally of like, you know, you don't get credit for pointing out where someone's failed or something wrong has happened. You get credit for the action. And that's so much in my personality that all of our meetings are concluded with, you know, action items. Like all of our marketing is called action. I'm a big to-do list keeper because um, you, you can know it's coming, but if you don't do anything to act, like what's the point, right? And I'm predicting rain in baseball is uh, another skill set that I always said, like how relevant your experience is on your resume than what you necessarily studied in school because nothing in my higher education at Trinity University paired, prepared me for entertaining someone during a rain delay or what happens when a giveaway doesn't ship on time or something. So I think that preparation, that call to action is just so central to who I am. I love it. I haven't heard that quote yet. And um, that's a framer for sure. <laughs> yeah. New quote. Yeah. Well, Aaron, it has been such a pleasure and what you've given to us today is going to last for a very long time. Thank you so much for sharing your voice and your advice with us on the Leadership is Female podcast. Yes, thank you for having me and thank you for your friendship. I value it. You're the best. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, remember the energy and positivity you brought on your first day of work. Remember that feeling and bring it back to the office on your tougher days. Number two, lead your team with, here's what I know about myself and this is what you can expect from me. You can get this information about yourself through a number of personal assessments, and this information can help you better understand yourself and better lead your team. Number three, work-life balance. No matter what or who you have in your life, you deserve it. The work-till-you-die mentality is not a culture, it's a cult. Number four, speak up. Ask for responsibilities, titles, and pay. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.